0: I'm Charles Christoph Carter.
1: And I'm Ellen Carter. We'd like to welcome you to this week's episode of Serial Dreadfuls, your place to find thrilling original content spanning everything from dark historical fiction to science fiction, horror, adventure, and the supernatural.
0: If you like the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify or your podcast provider of choice. Every review helps the show. Thank you. In our last episode, after having been told by the police that her little girl had been shot, Lee raced up the avenue to catch a cab to St. Francis's emergency room. <laughs> Without further ado, the next episode of The Seal of Solomon by Charles and Ellen Carter. Listener discretion is advised.
1: accident, she had to get Lottie, her best friend who lived one floor below her in her building, to come up and stay with Holly while she raced to the hospital. Those first few minutes it had taken for her to get Lottie, those precious few minutes had kept her from seeing John before he died. She had arrived at the hospital too late. Her mind began sifting through old memories, most of them filed carefully away until now. There was one of that last evening when John had leaned down to kiss her and had whispered in her ear, Wait up for me. And then he had flashed that smile of his. She had nodded and kissed him back, and he had left. Forever. There were other treasured memories of John and Holly together. Their antics had often annoyed her. The way they kidded around, she sometimes swore that she had two children instead of one. As she thought back... She realized that she had at times been jealous of their closeness. She had wondered if perhaps John had been closer to Holly than to her. How could she ever have thought such a thing? Why hadn't she just joined in, become part of what was going on, instead of always playing the part of Party Pooper, a name Holly had given her jokingly one day? Somewhere deep inside, she knew the answer. Lee had always felt like an intruder, much like her mother must have felt when Lee was a little girl, spending time with her own father. Had she somehow taken on her mother's role? She wasn't sure. She was sure that John had never realized why, at times, she had become so short and angry with him, for no apparent reason. She should have told him how she felt, how it hurt her to be left out, but she hadn't. She had never gotten the chance. It was so silly to have been jealous of her husband's and daughter's relationship. She knew that now. She only wished she had had the time to change it. The driver hadn't started up a conversation with her during the drive to the hospital, but she had glanced up and caught him looking at her in the rearview mirror several times. She was glad he had kept to himself. She didn't talk. She just wanted to focus on her own thoughts as scattered as they were, and prayed that Holly would be all right. But it was out of her control, just like John. It seemed like the important things were always out of her hands. The cab stopped in front of the entrance to St. Francis Hospital. Here you are, lady. That'll be nine dollars. Lee glanced at the six dollars she held in her hand, and then at the meter, incredulous that there was such a difference in cost between the ride she'd taken to St. Francis that night, eight months ago, and now. Nine dollars, lady, the driver repeated firmly. It was only six dollars the last time. Why so much now, she asked. Last time? You came during rush hour? No. She realized he was right, and she opened her purse to get the additional money. She handed him nine dollars and got out. Hey, lady. How about a tip? Lee turned and glared at him before she walked away. You almost got us killed twice. You don't deserve a tip. The driver raised his hand in a rude gesture, and the cab darted away from the curb. Lee hurried up the walk, the orange sun hanging in the smog-filled sky above her. Its sweltering rays filtered through the heavy, humid air, making it hard for her to breathe as she rushed up the cement walk. She pulled hard on the heavy glass door with its blood-red letters clearly spelling out emergency room. There was a sudden rush of cold air as she entered the waiting room. She paid little attention to the people sitting in the brightly colored plastic chairs, waiting in various stages of sickness and pain for their turn to see the doctors. She wasn't concerned about them, as cruel as that might seem. She just wanted to see her daughter. She approached the woman at the information desk. The police told me my daughter was shot and was brought to St. Francis' emergency room. What's her name? Holly Atherton. She's only 10 years old. I'm her mother. I want to see her. Spell the last name, please. A-T-H-E-R-T-O-N. The woman typed the name into the computer and waited for the information to appear on the monitor. Yes, she was brought in about an hour ago. They just took her up to the third floor O.R. Where was she shot? The nurse didn't acknowledge her question. I'll notify the doctor that you're here. I'm sure he'll want to speak with you. Can't you tell me what's going on? No, I'm sorry. Just take a seat and the doctor will be with you shortly. Lee stood there in stunned silence for a moment before she spoke. And then the words just rushed out, along with the anger and fear. My daughter's in the O.R. The doctor will see me shortly. Take a seat. She could hear her voice getting louder with each word that she spoke. She slammed her fist against the information desk and said in a loud, demanding voice, That's my child, and I want to speak with someone right now. The receptionist's right eyebrow rose, and she nodded her head solemnly. From out of nowhere, a police officer appeared at her side. Mrs. Atherton? She turned to face him. Yes, I'm Mrs. Atherton. I'd like to speak with you for a moment. Could you step over here with me, please? She allowed the officer to lead her to a corner of the crowded room. Apparently your daughter was coming home from school with a group of children when the incident occurred. It seems that two drug dealers started shooting at each other. Three children were shot. The other two died at the scene. Your daughter was rushed here. They stabilized her and took her up to the O.R. just a few minutes ago. She had assumed that her daughter was the only one injured. Now she realized that Holly was the only one who had survived. She knew how it had felt when John had been killed. She couldn't imagine how it would feel to lose a child, and she didn't want to. I didn't know about the other children. My God, that's horrible. Did you get the one responsible? We were able to catch one of them. The other one got away. Do you know where she was shot? All I can tell you is that witnesses said she was trying to run from the scene when she was shot in the back. I don't know anything more. I'm sorry. You're going to have to speak with the doctor to get any other information about her present condition. When your daughter is feeling up to it, we'd like to speak with her about the shooting she might be able to identify the other man. Atherton. She turned in time to hear a nurse sitting behind a long desk call her name again. Atherton? Excuse me, she said, and walked quickly over to where the nurse was seated. I'm Mrs. Atherton. The doctor will speak with you now. Just go through those double doors and make a right. Ask for Dr. Hudson. Lee nodded and pushed against the swinging gate that separated the desk from the waiting room and then pushed against the double doors. She found herself in a narrow hallway. She turned right. A few feet beyond, she came to an area with beds and drawn curtains on either side, forming little makeshift cubicles. A nurse stepped from behind one of the curtained areas and looked at her questioningly. The nurse at the desk said I was supposed to speak with Dr. Hudson. Are you Mrs. Atherton? Yes. Could you wait here for a moment, please? She nodded her head yes and watched as the nurse walked down the aisle and disappeared into one of the cubicles. A few moments later, a tall, slender man in a green scrub suit approached her. Mrs. Atherton, I'm Dr. Hudson. He had an air of confidence about him in a strong, reassuring voice as he told her about her daughter's condition. The good news is that your daughter's going to make it. However, the bullet fractured one of the lower vertebrae, and a fragment of bone from the vertebra entered one kidney. The bullet itself tore the large intestine. They're trying to repair the damage to the two organs now. It's hard to tell right now just how much damage has been done to the spinal column itself because of the swelling. We'll have to wait for it to go down. What are you saying, doctor? Is she going to be able to walk? I'm saying that we're just going to have to wait and see. The orange sun that had been hanging in the hazy sky had finally set, but the oppressive heat and humidity still lingered. Dusk had fallen quickly and had just as quickly been swallowed by the night, just as it should in midfall. The streets were still bustling with crowds of people, but they wore shorts and the brightly colored cotton shirts and dresses of summer instead of the usual autumn apparel. The heat and the dead, humid air trapped indoors clung like a sticky second skin and drove people outside to the streets in the cement stoops. Adults spent time engaged in conversation, mostly about the odd weather, hoping for a cooling breeze to ease their discomfort. Children, with coins growing moist in their hands, listened for the ice cream truck's that had taken advantage of the persistent heat wave and still drove from block to block with their taped music warbling from their loudspeakers. The children were drawn by their hypnotic promise of a cool confection, comforting and sweet. The musical sound of the ice cream trucks were as much a part of the neighborhood as the sound of mothers calling their children for supper. The voice of Rambling Ray, the local disc jockey, drifted through the hot, humid air, Commenting between records. It's going to be another long, hot, humid night. The only relief is the cool sound of the songs from WCTB 1220 on your FM dial. The weatherman tells me there's going to be a light show tonight, so keep your eyes trained on the sky. Now, for all you stoop sitters, here's one from the past and a little hint about where you should be if you want to get a good look at that light show. Up on the roof. The apartment building on Camden Street, where Lee and Holly lived, sat dark and almost abandoned in the evening heat. In their fourth-floor apartment, an intruder moved about, oblivious to the heat and the humidity, coldly surveying the small collection of rooms they called home. He was not a thief who had cleverly picked the locks and gained entrance to take whatever valuables there were. He was not present for that purpose he proceeded down the narrow hallway past a small room, Holly's room. He viewed the twin bed, dolls arranged neatly across the pillow, as he had seen them a hundred times before, perhaps ten times that, since he'd been trapped here. He moved further down the hall to the sparsely furnished living room, pausing for a moment in front of the bathroom. Turning right, he went into Lee's bedroom. He saw the long bureau against the left wall, cluttered with her perfumes, makeup, and jewelry. A picture of Lee, John, and Holly sat at the far end of the bureau by itself, untouched by the numerous small bottles that crowded the other end. A pearl earring still lay lost where it had fallen the day of John's funeral, caught between the bureau and the painted plaster wall. The mirror— and the double bed that completed the bedroom suite had obviously been well-worn even before they had been placed in this room, like old dishes that had nicks and cracks but were still being used because there was nothing to replace them. Anger welled up from within him like a monstrous specter that had lurked waiting for some unsuspecting victim. His rage surfaced, and he swore in a low, threatening voice to the empty apartment. Do you think, you simple-minded excuse for a woman, that your husband's death was an accident, or that your child's injury was mere misfortune? I swore that anyone who released me would be rewarded, but when no one came to rescue me from my fate, my anger turned to hate, and then I swore that anyone who released me would be slain, their blood used to ease the pain of my imprisonment. I will conjure dreams to curse your nights, until spent and broken you come to me. I have tired of my prison. I have no patience for waiting. I will manipulate and twist your life, until you break the seal and free me. Then I will lull you into hoping for something better, and when your soul has risen to meet this hope— I will crush you, kill everyone close to you, and use their blood to ease my suffering. Then I will tear your soul from your body and use your bloody flesh as a sponge to wipe clean the filth of centuries that clings to me in this loathsome jar. He moved back down the narrow hallway to the dark corner of the built-in linen cabinet that stood outside of Holly's door, back to the place where John had set the jar, unknown to Lee or Holly, some eight months before, back to the prison he had known for so long. He grew vexed at the thought of the man whose death he'd caused. Cursed, stupid man! I tempted you to pluck this jar from that old Arab store, and you did, but then you refused to listen to my entreaties, like all the rest, and so I cursed you and then killed you. Now your weak-minded woman will do my bidding.
0: now a preview of our next episode. As Lee anxiously waits for the anesthesia to wear off following Holly's surgery, she is plagued by guilt regarding her past decisions. So much has been taken from her daughter already. Will her ability to ever walk again be taken as well? Join our Patreon site and become a Dreadnought. For only $3 a month, you'll receive early access to free episodes, exclusive periodic content such as ghost notes and commentaries by the writers of Serial Dreadful's original series, exclusive access to Season 2 of each series as those episodes are released, as well as access to the entire back catalog of all episodes in our various series as our podcast goes forward. All this for less than a cup of coffee from you-know-who. Face it, folks, you're not going to get a better deal for original content anywhere. So go ahead and click the link in the show description now to become a dreadnought and aid in the conversion of the uninitiated masses.